Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to introduce you to our new sponsor, who is called Mercury Neuro. So if you haven't heard of them before, they're doing amazing things in the coffee machine game. They're out of Melbourne. They're incredible engineers and designers and fantastic quality coffee equipment. So Mercury Neuro is actually a coffee machine, optimizes performance, maximizes results for your coffee extraction, milk texturing, and also an accurate hot water delivery. It's exceptional, I've seen it in person. Jordan, who's the CEO, is an incredible guy and his team of engineers and designers are doing fantastic work. So check them out at mercuryneuro.com.au. Now, with the show. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's fantastic to have you listening um, and uh, and enjoying this podcast. I've um, I've seen the next guest's amazing work from afar from a long time, and it's a big coup to have him on during this time of lockdown uh, across COVID. Justin Dry is the CEO of Vinamofo, uh, an amazing DTC wine brand in Melbourne. Hey, Justin, how are you? Very well. Thank you for having me. My, my pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. Now, I, I remember what I said, like this, you've had an amazing, amazing brand. I know it started out in, in 2011 and you're just doing fantastic things in wine. It's been, it's been exceptional to see the rise of the brand uh, the last couple of years. Do you want to just talk about how Vinamofo actually started and, um, and what the premise was? Yeah, sure. So I was born in um, South Australia. Uh, my ancestors uh, planted some of the first vines in the Barossa. Um, wow. So it's kind of in, in my DNA. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple of my uncles worked in the industry quite closely, um, both in the science area. One in particular, Peter Dry, um, is a, uh, quite a well-known viticulturist globally, mm-hmm. and he's written a lot of the textbooks that you study. And so I, I was kind of force fed wine when I was a teenager at family gatherings mm-hmm. and they would kind of do blind tastings for me wow. and like try and get me to pick, you know, region, variety, vintage, et cetera, you know, as a 15 year old. So mm-hmm. I had no chance, but um, it was really fun. <laughs> and I got to learn a little bit pretty, pretty early. So that kind of uh, stoked fire, I guess. And then uh, by the time I was 18, 19, it was a full blown kind of passion I ended up studying at uni, actually mm-hmm. studied under my uncle, Peter, who was lecturing there at the time wow. uh, at a really famous um, wine school um, uh, out of South Australia mm-hmm. and then worked in the industry for a couple of years. And so I, you know, I, was, I was into it pretty early. And, you know, so on one side it was wine. And then since I was a kid, I was always starting businesses. And so, yeah. I was, you know, first business was like 10 and then I had one at 14 and, you know, basic stuff but mm-hmm. uh you know you could see that there was a there was going to be something there because i was just really interested in creating stuff and yeah. so those two things kind of combined a little bit later uh i i think i was 23 when i left the wine industry uh i just wanted to do i wasn't sure if it was a passion or a profession so i wanted to try mm-hmm. something else mm-hmm. i became a stockbroker when i studied financial markets right. uh, did that for a couple of years that was during the tech boom so that was like 90s Yep. Um, everything I uh, touched turned to gold, which was amazing. All my friends thought I was a genius for like a year. Um, and then the tech crash happened. In <laughs> Never really thought you were a genius like, anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, they worked out that I wasn't that smart and, um, and then uh, lost most of the money I made. 
uh, I decided that that wasn't my game anymore. I went and did some property development for a couple of years, did really well there and um, built a whole bunch of houses and uh, then, you know, went guarantor for someone, lost all the money. So a few ups and downs, but uh, yeah. when I was my late 20s, I got back into the wine industry and that was the kind of start of the online wine thing which yes. eventually led to, you know, MoFo. So the first one was something called Quaff. It was like a Facebook mm-hmm. for wine. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of community of wine lovers. And it was all based around this premise of like no bow ties and no BS. Let's be passionate about wine, yeah. but don't be a wanker. And what yeah. that was born out of was me being this young wine guy. Um, and if you're like super wine nerdy, you start looking into like independent stores and now mm-hmm. online, but um, mm-hmm. back then like small independents and you'd go and find some really interesting wine and, I'd be walking into these like wine stores and there'd be this old guy with rosy cheeks and a bow tie on trying to make everyone feel small because he knew more than them about wine. And yeah. I was like, well, if I, and it made you feel intimidated. And I was thinking, well, if I feel intimidated and as a 20 something year old, I know more about wine than most other 20 something year olds mm-hmm. um, because I've lived and breathed it, studied it and worked in it. Um, then something's wrong here. And mm-hmm. so no one's really speaking to that kind of um, audience. And so I was like, well, you know, if uh, we've got to open it up a little bit more and that was where that kind of like, let's be passionate about it, but let's not be a wanker. Um, yeah. And that's what Quaff, the brand or thinking behind Quaff was. Rolled that into the next one, which was Road to Vino, which was mm-hmm. like an online travel wine show, which basically I was, uh, we bought a combi, travel around Australia, tasting wine, surfing, um, <laughs> sleeping on people's couches, drinking too much um, and having heaps of fun in the meantime. And awesome. we yeah didn't have much of a business model but we got some sponsorship along the way from like wine australia um to help us it wasn't heaps mm-hmm. of money um christmas was pretty shitty but um it was really fun and then <laughs> but what we were doing is like quaff built this audience of like young wine people road mm-hmm. to vino kind of uh built this amazing network of like producers that we got to know really well they were all like yeah. the rock stars and the legends of the industry um you know spending so much time with those guys and girls mm-hmm. um was amazing and built that network Next, we rolled into like a mobile check-in app, which was like back in the days of like Foursquare and Gowalla. Okay. Uh, we did something very similar to um, that, but for the wine industry. Okay. So there was like the third one. And then eventually, um, getting to my point, uh, in late 2010, uh, came up with the idea and launched it in 2011 of Vino Mofo because we had an audience, we had right. a network, and we just hadn't got the business model right yet. And um, and then in uh, Vino Mofo with the business model, we got all of those things at the same time right. Yeah. Wow. That's a, I didn't know any of that. So that's a great trajectory to where you are, to where you are now. Like when, when you guys started that, you know, early, early stages, sort of 2010, 2011, did you, did you think it was going to be sort of what it is now? Like you're a massive brand now. <clears throat> uh, no. Uh, you know, I've always been ambitious and I've always, you know, had, you know, I've done the whole vision board thing my whole life. And most mm. of those things come, you know, seem to happen uh, eventually. Some, usually a couple of years later than I'd hoped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> always <laughs> too early. Like, yeah. Oh, I just, just missed it by a couple of years. But uh, they, they, most of the things have come true, which is fascinating um, and quite amazing. But no, I didn't think it would be that. Although I, I always had this thing when I was younger um, because I started so many businesses, some worked, some didn't, um, Mm. but I learned a lot along the way. Uh, I always had this thing that I was going to create this brand and a big media company was going to come and try and buy it. And then, um, 
and then we were going to, you know, eventually turn it into something pretty amazing. Um, but it was always just like one of those things in your back of your mind, but mm. never really have it much more thought. And funnily enough, the first company that came to acquire us when we launched in 2011 was a big media company. I was like, oh, that's weird. Wow. Um, we didn't end up doing that deal, but um, it's just weird how things happen like that. Yeah. What have you, what have you sort of seen happen since launching Vinamofo, um, you know, in 2011 in wine? I mean, we're now talking nine years of your brand, nine, nearly 10 years of your brand. Like the wine, and, wine industry has moved a long way, I feel, since, this, since that time. Like how have you seen it change and evolve? Oh, it's, it's shifted massively. I think when back then there really was still this real thing around let's make wine accessible yeah. uh, because there, there was this real um, barrier um, between old world and new world kind of, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not talking wine regions, that whole thing. I'm talking about this attitudes to wine yeah. and yeah. accessibility. Mm-hmm. Back then it really was, we were trying to change the wine world. We were like, let's make this fun. Let's make this accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about wine in a different way. Whereas now um, that's less required. I'm still required funnily enough and silly, stupidly enough um, (laughs) that that still needs to be a thing, but it's less so because people are more open to trying new things. Um, The conversations change. There's lots of young, interesting people in the industry that have opened it up um, a little bit more. There's still way too much fussiness um, and way too much BS in the Mm. industry, but it's come a long way. So I've seen that. Um, mm-hmm. The other things that have obviously come, you've had the, this, you know, movement towards kind of natural minimal intervention, you know, um, you know, people have been doing that, you know, for, you know, ever in other yes. places of the world, but it's really just come to, you know, um, front and center in terms of uh, conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's definitely been something that's, I've, you know, in the last kind of five years has really mm-hmm. been much more of a thing. Uh, look, we've had online, has gone crazy in that same period of time in terms of one consumer adoption, but also two just competition, you know, yeah. since we've looked, there's been something like 80 online competitors come into the market, well, wow. uh, which is nuts, you know, and most, yeah. most fail because it's tough. You know, people see mm. a couple of success stories and they're like, Oh, well this, there must be a huge opportunity here and come in and realize that God, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and there's still, you know, a a few have survived, um, but, but the competition has escalated. Online adoption has escalated. And I think wineries understanding of the importance of DTC um, has grown remarkably quickly, especially of late through COVID, of course, course. as there are other channels of, dried up a little bit um, mm-hmm. or, you know, certainly slowed down in most of Australia and in places that have full lockdown stopped, you know, mm-hmm. on premise has been really, really, really hit hard as you'd know. Yeah. What, why do you think there is still some stuffiness around wine? It's, it's, it's really interesting that we don't really have that in any, any other sectors of the alcohol industry. Like you don't really have that in spirits. You, you don't, have that in craft beer. There's real casualness around craft beer, even though the actual price point is, is higher. Like if you put the mill rate against each other, like, do you think it's just a a case of, as you said before, like old world thinking around the, you know, the old men who control wine or or have always bought wine and and known wine since, you know, their early twenties and understood it. Like, do you think that's where the stuffiness comes from still? I think it's where some of it comes from. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's it's still so 
connected to and the people that are still so powerful and have distribution within this space mm-hmm. um a lot of them are still from that world so yep. there's there's that piece and it takes a long time to evolve you know mm-hmm. when when the powers that be are still entrenched in that way of thinking yes. um you know the world it's moved for sure yes. um, but also wines really it's, it's it's interesting so you know you're an expert if you know what that you know just a little bit more than the person you're speaking to <laughs> um, and i reckon wine's very much one of those things that some a lot of people have a fear around because there is so much to know and there is so much to learn um and experience you know there's there's you've got all the variety i mean all the varieties you've got the different regions you've got different countries you've you know, you've got different aspects, you've got climates, you've got, like, it's so much yeah, that goes into on. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how you grow it, like the soil that's grown in, it's, it's just, there's a lot. And so yes. it's overwhelming for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, but they just don't realize um, that it doesn't need to be. And then you've got a, it's kind of people in the middle that are like, oh, wow, I know quite a bit about wine. Um, mm-hmm. and that makes it feel kind of special. Um, and you can take that one of two ways. You can go down a path of let's make it open and accessible and bring people in. Or the other way is, Oh, I'm going to make myself feel even more important by making other people not feel important, um, and not feel welcome and open. So yes. I don't know. It's yeah. kind of, it, there's lots of reasons why. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but I must say it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Why do you think, why have you guys made the choice to really just focus on wine, even as you've got bigger, um, you know, bigger buying power? I'd imagine over this over the last nine or ten years, like why have you decided not to like go into spirits or or go into craft beer or anything like that? Has that been a has that been just a a focus on what you guys love and know the best? Or it's it's been a few things in that thinking. One is it's what we love and know best, and it's what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what we know how to do really well. It's where our networks are. So all of that stuff. And then outside of that, you've also got this, like we do what we do well. Yes. We, we think we're the best at it, um, mm-hmm. at what we do. Um, so we've got that competitive advantage and we haven't run out of market yet. So we kind of look at it as in, let's do what we do uh, best and do that until there is no growth opportunity left. And so Mm -hmm. in Australia, there's still great growth opportunity and globally, there's still great, obviously growth opportunity. The, um, the market is ginormous, um, not just in Australia, but globally. And so, you know, launched in New Zealand and Singapore, there's lots of other markets. So that focus has been, we do it really bloody well. Um, Let's focus on what we do really well and expand it until that market is not there to expand, which is miles and miles away from us. There's Mm -hmm. that piece. The other piece is we've explored it, we've tested it, we've played around with it. Uh, beer is hard in terms of margin. Uh, yep. Beer is hard in terms of delivery. Uh, beer is hard in terms of, um, you know, there's not a lot of opportunistic buying as well in beer because yeah. you can turn the taps off, you know, like as a, yeah. as a brewer, mm-hmm. as a winery, the investment is long-term. Yeah. So, you know, if, if there's a lot of people that are incredible at making wine, but pretty terrible at selling it, and so there's a real opportunity in that um, gap um, for part of the offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the other part of the offering, um, it's just something that we're super passionate about, you know, um, we mm-hmm. just love it to bits. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've sold cider, we've sold beer. Uh, we haven't gone down the spirits path. Um, yep. because, you know, single bottle generally is what you're going to buy. We sell by the case. 
Yeah, of uh, course. You know, how much margin is there in that? How much scale can you get? Look, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of people doing interesting things in those other places. Mm-hmm. There's one beer, um, there's one, uh, one beer online uh, retailer that's doing really well, apparently, and um, it's got some scale and that's mm-hmm. interesting. But I think they're doing it in a way um, where they're kind of creating unique opportunities for shorter periods of time as opposed yeah. to just selling staples. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a pop-up. Mm-hmm this type of beer and it's going to run out in this amount of time. And that is an interesting part of the industry. And I think that's um, something that could be fun. But -hmm. at the moment, we've just got so much opportunity ahead of us with just focusing on wine. We're not complicating our model. Yeah. I think it's very, very smart. Um, Justin, what are a couple of the things that are, uh, are challenging for you as a DTC company rather than having, you know, an, uh, an actual premise that you're selling alcohol from you're selling wine from that people wouldn't think about because there are so many more challenges in i would think about what you guys are doing than what would be if you had the vinamofo you know shop on chapel street right so what are the couple of things that people probably wouldn't wouldn't think about do you reckon well here's there's a couple of things here so one we actually do have a click and collect kind of store at our Mm -hmm. warehouse Okay. So we can have that kind of person in person experience, mm-hmm. uh, but that's only in Melbourne. So yeah, yeah, we've done a few pop-ups along the way, probably, you know, it's, it's not going to be a surprise, but the ability to create connection um, person to person is really powerful. And how we built the first three businesses and even in the early days of Vino was very much one-on-one to one to 10 to one to 20 to one and a hundred in person stuff. There was a lot of tastings. There was a lot of network kind of things building. And so being a big online retailer uh, you can't do those things at the scale required to build those relationships anymore in the same way. You can yeah. do, you can build relationships remarkably well online with tech um, and the way you do things. And, you know, by having a very human brand and human connection and human response to um, your mofos and your community. And that's mm-hmm. what we do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're one of the very few um, online retailers to actually offer um, human behind each customer as in like we've got brokers um we've got wine brokers for each of our um uh, mofos which Mm -hmm. means you can actually call and speak to humans who know wine Um, and if you prefer to just do online then cool but if you want a human contact then we provide that and that's available to every mofo in our community so we're, we're trying to get the best of both worlds i think the scale and efficiencies of online yeah. Um, and the human um, connection by introducing that type of offering to our community. So, look, I think that's probably the biggest challenge, um, but you can do some pretty remarkable things with tech um, and where you place your importance. Yeah. What, um, what are the couple of things you had to change in your business um, when COVID actually happened? Because, you know, you have done some... Um, you have done some events we were talking before about the event that I went to last year with, um, with empathy, which was amazing. Like it was, I can't do those in Victoria right now. Like, like how have you had to change since COVID? Staffing why, like, you know, where the team um, work from is obvious, you know, everyone's yeah. working from home. We went super early on that. Anyway, we had a fair bit of freedom prior to COVID regardless. Mm-hmm. So our, um, our office in Cremorne, uh, was half empty most of the time anyway because right. we had freedom. But 
Um, as soon as we could see the writing on the wall, we changed our phone teams uh, to completely online um, to enable them to work from anywhere, which has been amazing. So we changed tech. Um, we mm-hmm. changed phone systems to, to enable um, online uh, calling from anywhere. Uh, we split shifts in our warehousing to protect um, for business continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing double team um, in warehouse just in case anything was to happen. We can kind of safeguard. Yep. Um, and, you know, everyone's wearing masks. Uh, everyone's practicing social distancing. All the things you have to do, yep. we're doing, but we're doing a level above what's required just for obvious reasons and for business continuity and protection of our own team. And um, so look, it's completely changed the way we operate. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I haven't been into the office for, I don't know how long um, and neither has any of my team. You know, there was what in that period where you were still allowed to, if required, um, we had a couple of people, you know, whereas now it's just been locked down completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Warehousing is, as I said, split into, two shifts. So we're investing so much money um, into extra uh, people to enable us to get through what we need to get through because the yeah. teams of um, having to be split. And, um, but you know, we're one of the very lucky businesses that have done really well um, through this period. So mm-hmm. there's absolutely no complaints about the extra costs and extra um, uh, effort um, required because you know, so many friends and family uh, are struggling right now. So it's in that, we kind of in that weird place where you're like, um, you know, it's been really good for us in a lot of ways, but then really challenging for our team and the social piece of that. And then really challenging for so many people I care about that. Yeah. I just feel weird, you know, to, yeah. I don't know how I feel because I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, business is great, but God, so many people I care about are struggling. And so yeah. um, it's weird kind of, you know, yeah you go through different emotions during the day don't you You sort of you wake (laughs) up you wake up okay and then and then an hour later you hear something and you're like oh shit and then you know and then you're okay again and it's it's and then you're waiting for the morning update on numbers to know the tunnel uh you know and i my biggest thing right now though i is you know ash and i my wife had uh our daughter matisse eight months Mm -hmm. ago Mm -hmm. and she hasn't because our families both were both from interstate and so Mm -hmm. none of our families live in melbourne so we've had um, no real support here and but the unfortunate thing has been our um, parents who are really hands-on and beautiful grandparents to matisse haven't had the opportunity to see her for since she was like a month old Wow. And it's just eight months, you know, timing originally at the very early bit, but then lockdown and you yep. can't get in or out of Victoria. So it's, yep. um, that's, that's probably been one of the worst part or has been the worst part. The uh, best part, I guess, for me personally has been the opportunity to spend so much time with Matisse. You know, yes. I get to cuddle her yep. 10 times a day and I see her most throughout the day. So that's been lovely for me. So, you know, you know, grateful for that, sad about some other things, um, challenging in, in some ways and beneficial in others. I don't know. It's just yeah. a weird, wonderful, interesting, challenging time. Yeah. Hopefully the borders will open up and um, you'll, you'll get that time um, with, with your parents, I hope. Um, yeah. Lots of video, lots of video chats. A lot of FaceTime, hey? <laughs> um, what do you think? What do you think COVID's going to do to the DTC market in wine in the long run? Do you think it's, do you think this is just going to be, I'd imagine you would have had some growth during this time with, with on-premise moving to at home. Um, do you think this is going to be a, an ongoing sort of trend in the alcohol market, especially with wine? 
Yeah, I think it's, I mean, most people talk about the, it's been an acceleration of online adoption from anywhere from one to five years. Mm. I would agree with that. I think um, we've seen a tremendous lift um, as have most people in this space. Um, I think it's introduced a whole bunch of new people to online that yes. yet. So and mm -hmm. I don't think they'll be going backwards, um, mm -hmm. at least not in the majority. So yes, I, ha I think it has changed the landscape. Um, I think it's advanced it. I don't know in terms of years, I haven't calculated that or worked it out, but we have certainly grown very quickly over this period. Um, and I don't see it dropping off anytime soon, at least not the bulk of it. You know, some people might return, but even when the world opens up again, as you've seen in other parts of Australia, mm. it's going to be a slow kind of return to old patterns. If they ever do return at all, you know, like yeah. even when Melbourne, have that brief period of time when it was more open and we're all celebrating by going to restaurants very quickly, <laughs> but we had that, you know, social distancing yeah, that month. Yes. restaurants. Yeah. It was, you know, there was only a third or a half of the people that would normally be in there yeah. for a couple of weeks. One required obviously yes. by social yeah. distancing, but two mm -hmm. um, people were a little bit more concerned about their health and safety of going Absolutely. out because yes the patterns had become a thing and, and all the talk and media and you start thinking um, it, you know, it changes the way people behave and it's not yes. just a short term behavioral change. It's a longer term. So I don't see it ever going back to where it was, where it will be. I have no idea, but it certainly moved further towards um, safety, health, online adoption, et cetera. So I don't mm. know. I think landscapes changed forever. Just don't know how much, but it certainly in the majority, I'd say. Yeah. Also that was a good lead into my next question because my next question is around the hospitality industry. I know you're so close to it, um, even though you're not, you know, you're not, you're just by uh, supply on premise, but um, I, I know you're a great supporter of the restaurant industry in Victoria. Um, when I talk to my friends, you know, interstate, as I'm sure you do as well, like I know that Perth, Perth venues are, are doing very good numbers at the moment. Brisbane venues are doing year on year, much better numbers this, at the moment, um, maybe because of government assistance, but, but Sydney and New South Wales venues seem to be struggling because they're concerned about the numbers going up, you know? So venues are struggling. They're almost in a lockdown without being a lockdown like Victoria. Like, do you think knowing hospitality as you do that this is, you said, you know, this is going to, this is going to change the hospitality industry and, and it won't go back to what it was. Do you think this is going to be a leader into more experiential hospitality venues that are going to be smaller and not so big, or do you think big venues are going to remain because social distancing is a, you know, an important thing now? What are your thoughts? It's really, it's a really interesting conversation and something that I've spent a little bit of time thinking about at different times through this. One of the really interesting things um, to think about is where are people going to be living for one, yeah. uh, you know, as freedom around working, um, working from Good home uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, cost of living in the big cities um, and living close, um, mm -hmm. you know, office space being halved or not being as needed um, yeah. and, you know, centrally located in like Melbourne city is a really interesting thing to contemplate. Um, yeah. If less people are going into the off uh, into work in the city, how are the cafes and restaurants and bars going to survive in there? Absolutely. And, as more people have the freedom to work from anywhere, what lifestyle choices are they going to make in terms of what they can afford to and where they're going to mm. live 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at uh, inner city Sydney or inner city Melbourne because they need to be close to work previously, um, going, oh, well, there's, you know, three, four, five million dollars um, for a house, you know, um, and what does that get you out in the country or what does that get you along the coast? Some, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then out the density of people, what, is, what impact does that have on restaurants, bars, clubs, et cetera? probably pretty significant, particularly in central business districts. Yeah. So look, who knows where it's going to go, but I would say that you're going to have different hubs pop up around um, suburbs that people choose to live in based on lifestyle and, Mm -hmm. and probably more pain felt in centrally located business business districts um, and inner suburbs on those, but that may take some time. You know, the probably the short answer is, I don't know. Um, Long answer is what I've been trying to explain is it's really complicated. (laughs) (laughs) How does it, how does it, I've been trying to wrestle the last couple of months, Justin, you know, obviously I consult for the industry. So it's one, it's sad already because I'm like, where is my business going to come from in the next, in the next few years? But two, I really think about the venues that if they don't come back or if they come back in a different way, that I'm going to miss the old way, like the, the going up to a bar and standing shoulder to shoulder with people and, and, and waiting to order for, for a drink or to go into a big venue like Garden State Hotel on Flinders Lane in the, in the city and, and be in that kind of atmosphere and environment. Like, is there a sadness that you're sort of feeling at the moment of what you think you may have lost? Yeah. Look, I've got a lot of uh, good friends that own restaurants and bars and, I really miss the I really miss the intimacy of it all. Um, I love the great relationships. I love the experience. I love the mm-hmm. service. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, just down the corner from our uh, place is um, uh, Kuchinetta and Cozzy, um, mm-hmm. who are run by is run by good friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And just the experience that you have in those places is incredible. And they're you know they're still surviving. They're adapting and doing what they need to do to get through it. But God, I miss that experience. Yes, exactly. uh, I, I miss the experience of wine bars. Melbourne has great wine bars. And I mean, yeah. there's lots of wine bars, great wine bars all over Australia, but Melbourne's got some great ones that are run by really good friends. And um, I miss those terribly. I miss the interaction. I miss the connection. I miss the, um, I just, you know, miss a lot of it, to be honest. Mm. Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so um, yeah how and what does it look like when we can all go back out? I don't think there's enough of us and the way we feel about it um, to maybe protect um, all of them. There's definitely Mm going to be a lot of places that aren't going to make it through um, because people are more kind of, um, I I guess, thoughtful around their health, especially with this is not going away anytime soon, you know? And so people being more thoughtful around that, they're going to avoid spaces with lots of people, um, even yeah. when they're allowed to, yeah. uh, you know, there might be an initial surge from people like us that are desperate to get yeah, desperate do something. As soon as, they, as soon as it opens yeah. out, like you know, we were at we were at restaurants as often as we could. Yes. We were like, apart from the fact we just had a new baby, which made it a little bit more challenging. But she's really great at sitting looking at us eat, um, <laughs> so we can do that. But there's, I don't think that's everyone. That's the that's going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone's going to jump back in. Mm. Um, you talked a bit about connection there. I was going to ask you, like you've, you're obviously working from home as we all are in, in Victoria and you've got a, you know, you've got a big team who are really lively and, and that kind of stuff. Um, from what I've seen online, like 
how are you making sure that your team's connected during this time, Justin? Regular check-ins, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, so every, we start every week with a big uh, all-in town hall that um, cool. uh, I start, obviously, and, and talk about last week, this week, coming up, and then we get all of the leads to have their time and we give shout outs um, Mm -hmm. to everyone. We talk about um, what's happening this week. We remind people um, about the availability of services to help support them through this period. We make sure our leads are having very regular check-ins. We make sure that everyone knows on the team that there's always someone available. Our head of people and culture is on the phone constantly. She basically goes through everyone consistently yep. um, and regularly over time and reaches out to them on the phone. Cool. Um, we're all working through Slack. There's lots of funny channels where we can connect in different ways. Mm-hmm. Last week, uh, we on Friday night, we ended up the, the day and we had a, um, uh, what's it called? A, um, a quiz night that um, everyone cool. came to. We all opened bottles of wine at our own places um, and kind of jumped on like an online, uh, you know, video and mm-hmm. we had a, a quiz host um, and that was really fun. So we could all kind of drink wine together and um, yeah, like we do as much as we can. We have the yeah. right services available. We've got the right team members reaching out when and all the time actually. Um, and we do as much online um, video um, and catch ups as we can. So it's a whole bunch. It's really tough. You know, some people initially, really enjoyed the time you know people i guess more introverted than extroverted yeah uh, and some people hated it straight away but i think even the introverts now um are over it yes <laughs> I mean, you know I, i'm kind of I in the middle somewhere so i like my time but you know i think most people are over it now it's time yeah. um yeah. you know i'd really like to get over on top of what's going on so we can get back out there and we can get back to a place where we can actually see other humans. I, I think my, like, I'm worried Matisse is going to be, get out to the public and go, who the hell are all these <laughs> Who are all these people? <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's only, you know, she sees see so few people these days. It's, um, you know, and this is going to have an impact. It's, it's yeah. really, it's interesting, a little bit scary, but um, no, we just do as much as we can. And it's, I think it's just important to connect um, one-on-one and, and one-on to the whole team. Mm. Um, so as much as we can with the available tools and tech that we have, yeah. Uh, last question to you before I, um, before I let you go, I appreciate your time today, Justin is um, what's, what's the one thing you're looking forward to coming back and out of COVID that you're missing right now? Family. I think seeing the family again will be really nice. Yep. You know, that's number one. Um, I, I'm really disappointed that um, I'm sad that Matisse hasn't had the opportunity to hang out with our family mm. outside of that. Um, and less emotionally, probably getting out to great restaurants again. I just can't <laughs> wait to just drink sit. great wine, <laughs> eat great food and it not be out of my cellar and cooked by myself or my <laughs> wife. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, Justin, what's the, what's the, um, what's the way that people can find out more about uh, Vinamofo? Uh, jump online, um, you know, venomofo.com, uh, Instagram's always good. We're on that plenty. Um, if you want to come say hello on Twitter, we're there. It's just at venomofo on both of those Facebook, obviously. Um, we do quite a bit of online video stuff. So Google us, watch some stuff. Um, and me personally, it's just at Justin dry on all those platforms too. Cool, man. I'll make sure I'll link that up as always. Um, Justin, thanks so much for your time, man. Thank you for having me, mate. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I really, really appreciate you listening and spending some time with me again. As always, if you can subscribe, if you can leave a review, I will be eternally grateful. So thank you so much. It's really, really simply to do no matter what app you're actually using to listen to this podcast. Always, you can uh, leave me a little voice note as well. You'll see that in the show notes of this podcast. And lastly, thank you again to our new sponsor, Mercury Neuro, the leaders in coffee machine making all the way here in Melbourne. Uh, Jordan and team are doing a fantastic job. So make sure you check out all their kit at mercuryneuro.com.au. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you.